The following podcast contains spoilers and words like piss, shit, and fuck. We watch it. We watch it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We Watched a Thing. This is a very special week because I'm joined by a very special man. It's one of my favourite people in the world, Paul from the Countdown Movie and TV Reviews podcast. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Billy. Thank you so much for uh, having me on for such an amazing film. So playing my cards before you even say what it is, but uh, it's a pleasure. Always a pleasure to share the mic and, and talk films with your wonderful self. Well, this is going to be awesome because when I was messaging you asking you to come on and I was trying to think about what film to do, I know that this is one of your all-time favourite films. I don't know exactly yes. where in the top ten it sits, but I know it's in there. Um, yes. It's it's up there in mine as well. And mm. it's this film's 40th anniversary this year. So, it's like the stars aligned Damn. and it was like, why not? <laughs> yep, I agree. So, we are, of course, talking about The Thing, which is a 1982 American science fiction horror film directed by John Carpenter from a screenplay by Bill Lancaster based on the 1938 novella Who Goes There by John W. Campbell Jr., it stars Kurt Russell, A. Wilford Brimley, T.K. Carter, David Clennon, Keith David, Richard Dysart, and Thomas G. Waits. And what is it about, Paul? Oh, this one's easy to say. In a remote, <laughs> isolated, Antarctic base, a bunch of American scientists and researchers are set upon by a creature which is thawed out from being frozen in the ice and takes their form one at a time to, well, kill them all and then take over the entire world. Yes, nailed it. <laughs> I'm happy with that one. <laughs> do you and I was ready. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember when you first saw this film? I do. Yeah. I do. And it's a little bit of a story if you'll indulge me. Of course, go. So, when I was. So, this film came out when I was. Okay. And we're about to absolutely <laughs> age me. I was seven when this film came. And I was six when it came out, seven shortly thereafter. Yeah. And the following. And as it is, was it here in Australia? And all your Australian listeners will know, and probably New Zealand listeners as well. When a film comes out in America, back in those days, we had to wait months before yes. it arrived here. Now, of course, I, as a seven-year-old, I wasn't allowed to go to the cinema to see it. But uh, not that long thereafter, whenever it came out in home video, so let's say circa middle of 1983, I was being babysat by the next-door neighbour who was about a 16-year-old guy. Yep. And he let me sit up with him and watch the thing, <laughs> which is partly where my fascination and love of horror films Yeah, I was going to ask, Yeah. And the other person being my grandmother, who didn't care what we watched, just put it on and said, off you go. Basically, we got to the scene where the dog's head explodes apart and all the things come slithering out of its of its four-cornered muzzle. And he goes, pause, time to go to bed. <laughs> and I was both horrified and devastated yeah. that I didn't get to see it. And that became my mission to get this film out and beg my parents to let me get it out to watch the end of it and see how it all played out. So, there you go. Yeah, right. So, how many years later did you eventually get to see it? It was still in the same house and we moved from that house in 1985. So, it was before I was 10. Well, there you go. That's good. <laughs> so, yay, mum and dad. Good on you. <laughs> good parenting. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty young when I first saw this as well. I I've told similar stories to this. I think recently when I was on Scaredy Boys, I spoke about the first time I saw Jaws. And that was with my aunties. I was about nine years old and one of my aunties was going deaf. And she decided that before she lost her hearing, she wanted to hear us kids scream. And so, <laughs> so we went over to their house and just watched a ton of horror movies, and it was amazing. Uh, the thing wasn't that night, but my family all love horror and scary movies. Nice. And so I remember distinctly watching this at my auntie's house for the first time. And I think it was the same night I watched Tremors, actually. 
But That's a good one too. Yeah. That's a great one too. It really is. But, I mean, geez, this is just a good movie. <laughs> good is just one way to describe it. If, if I could start with the easy bit, yeah. I'm not sure that any film has better practical creature yeah. effects. Yeah. Maybe to this day. Yeah. That's a big, bold statement. But yep. Rob Bottin's work on this, oh. which apparently it was 10% of the budget of the entire film was spent yes. practical creature effects, <laughs> yep. is second to none. Yeah, it, it's incredible. It's one of these movies where you watch it and it makes you realise how old you are and how bad at your job you are because <laughs> <laughs> Rob Bottin was 22 oh when he worked on this film. And apparently he was working something like 70 hours a week, just like insane. And- the, the care that is put into these creature effects. I'm right there with you. I think the only other one that you can consider as being close is Alien. But I think this is better from, like... I, yeah, I do too. Because Alien, a lot of it is all about shadow yeah. and hiding away the fact that a large number of those shots are a really skinny dude in a in a suit. Yeah. Whereas this film has very minimal amounts of that. It's, it's all... Uh, radio-controlled creatures and yeah. whatever else. You know, it, it, pump this bit and that arm flings around and whatever else. It's inc- it's just amazing. Apparently, he worked so hard on this film, like you say, 70-plus hours or so, he put himself in hospital. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And so, they had to- I remember, I can't remember who it was. They had to shop someone else in towards the end of the film to help finish it out because the guy literally almost worked himself to death. I didn't realize he was 22. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Wow. It's nuts. I think it may have- Was it Stan Winston who came in to- Yep. Yeah. I mean- yeah. I mean, all those guys are legends. I mean, Rob Bottin was 14 when Rick, Rick Baker hired him as his apprentice. <laughs> like, just insane. Yeah, the guy who did the American Wealth London Transformation hires you at 14. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. You must have had a lot of chops going on for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I just have to assume everyone's seen this movie. All your listeners have seen this film. I would have thought so. I mean, like I, I would said, ho- 40th anniversary of the If you haven't watched it by now, you've had 40 years to do it. <laughs> so, I'm assuming we can spoil the absolute shit out of this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's as go As we go. <laughs> but, yeah, the, there's only one dodgy really effect in it. And it's where they had to go away from the practical effects and create that sort of animation, claymation kind of monster right towards the end. Yeah. And I'm not sure if that was a- you know, we couldn't get everybody in to fix it or if it was a budgetary shortcut or that it went, oh, we went too big there. We can't do this one. Yeah. Practically. Yeah. I just think it's amazing how good this film looks. Like, not just the effects, but the cinematography in general. And John Carpenter, I mean, you're much more of a horror aficionado than I am. You, you probably are much more familiar with his filmography. But was it basically in terms of big films, just The Fog and Halloween prior to this? He did Dark Star, I think was his first movie. And, yeah, that sounds about right. But this film scared him off being a big-budget Hollywood director anymore. This film cost $15 million to make, which is pretty solid dollars for a horror film yeah. that has no women in it in 1982. And it went, it clunked and flunked so badly, infamously, yeah. this and Blade Runner around the same time. Yeah. Two of the greatest uh, in terms of impact on cinema films ever. And- they largely put it down to the fact that this film came out, was it two weeks or three weeks after E.T.? Yes, yeah, yeah. And no one wanted to see a film about a, a terrifying alien creature killing people. They wanted to see a film about a cuddly, sort of leathery alien creature touching, you know, <laughs> in, a, in an okay way with its glowing finger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I I couldn't. I was actually. This was something I didn't know. You know, showing my age, I was not alive when this film came out, and I did not realize that this film was so poorly received at the time. I didn't know that until tonight when I was reading about how it was literally voted like one of the most hated movies of all time when it came out. And people really hated the effects because they just found it so gruesome and thought that took away from the story. I, I cannot understand that mentality now. People are idiots. Yeah. A person's intelligent, but people are idiots. And I, <laughs> yeah. and I have to apologize to all the John Carpenter fans out there. Of course, Escape from New York came before uh, this film as well, which is where he yes. started working with, with Kurt Russell. So, of course, yeah. yeah. And another film which I like too, it's sold on Precinct 13, though that's not a big budget one by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Yeah. The, the original one of those. So that's quite the filmography by this point in time. They did talk him into coming back to do Starman, and I think he came back to kind of correct the ledger because he is a cuddly alien film, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. Very similar to ET when you think about it, actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I agree. This film looks amazing. It's shot incredibly well. And I it just it's one of the tightest, what is it, 109 oh, yeah. minutes you'll ever see. Yeah. It's barely a wasted frame in this film because they eschew and just get away rid of. Because the obvious thing you would do here is stick in one love interest female yeah. and probably another female to balance things out a little bit. And there would have to be a romance between McCready and whoever this, this female is. Nope. It's 12 <laughs> dudes. Yep. And they are they range. They're all very separate characters. Mm. Even to this day, you know, I know them all, you know, Palmer being the crazy conspiracy nut and yeah. Windows being the neurotic dude and Fuchs being the, the very the smart scientist. And of course, um, Wilford A. Brimley's wife, I forgot his name off the top of my head, Blair, Blair, the uh, yeah. who ends up going completely nuts. But yes. all that stuff is, and then I'm forgetting Keith David, who's incredible as Charles in this movie as well. They're just everyone's so good. Yeah. And they're all so memorable. And they all interact in a way that I think, not that I've ever been alone with 11 other dudes in Antarctica, <laughs> it seems very authentic and lived in. So, when they start yeah. getting offed, it really starts to have an impact. Yeah. And, like, and you really get tense with, well, who's next and who's the thing and who's not. It's just so good, so well written, so well put together. Yeah, it, it really is. You're absolutely right. Every time I watch this movie, I forget how short it is because it doesn't feel like a film of this scope should be possible within that like hour 40 like that just yeah. doesn't make sense to my brain <laughs> and and you're right you know like it really is an ensemble film like it, it's clear that kurt russell you know mcready is the lead i guess but this really is an ensemble film for the most part which i think is why it works so well because you do know who all of these characters are pretty quickly and i think McCready's the only one you'd say, well, he's probably safe at least until the end of the film. Yeah. But anybody else and everybody else feels like they could go at any point in time. Yeah. And do. Whereas, <laughs> yeah. Whereas if you had a, a, and I guess maybe that's partly because though there's a lot of character actors in, in here, Richard Dysart and Charles Hallahan and the like. But to me as a kid, one, I didn't recognize them all other than Kurt Russell. And then B, even years later, so if they redid, and they did, of course, kind of do a, uh, they did a prequel film really yep. immediately leading up to it. They didn't overly cast that with lots of name faces, but if this was a, a you know, a whole bunch of men now, almost everybody, they try and cast as many names as they could. Oh, yeah. And you would kind of know who's safe at least until the latter parts of the film. Yeah. You know? You'd have Hemsworth as McCready for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, wouldn't be terrible, I no. don't think. But, but look, no one, could, no one can out Kurt Russell, Kurt Russell. No. He's just- 
McCready is so cool in this movie. Yeah. He he's kind of that kind of bitter, jaded, cynic, yet you really warm to him. Uh, maybe it's just the fact that he pours yeah, scotch into the computer when he's losing at chess and calls her a cheating bitch. <laughs> yeah. Who hasn't who wasn't wanted to do that to a computer before? Uh yeah. Or the fact he's very stoic about it and you know, it's pretty dangerous to fly up there now. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> the winds are going ha, huh, give it a shot. Yeah. Love you. All right, let's go. He's just I'll just get it done if that's what I need to do. Yeah. And then when he has to, he takes charge and takes no shit. Yeah. He's such a cool dude. Kurt Russell plays it so well in this film. Uh, I was reading the in the script, the description of McCready is given as thirty five helicopter pilot, likes chess, hates the cold, the pay is good. And it's like <laughs> that's just so fucking great. <laughs> like <laughs> And look what he did with it. You know, one created one of the most iconic characters that yeah, well, we'll get, I guess we'll get back to the end of the film as we go. Yeah. Do you have a favourite amongst the other then rest of the cast? I like Blair. I like, and especially, I mean, that final sequence where you get Blair thing is just so great. <laughs> there are so many great sequences. Now, you're obviously the effects person here, Billy, so I have to defer in, in all ways, shape and form to you. My favourite character, it sounds a bit strange, is... Probably Fuchs. I really felt sad when Fuchs died. And yeah. I never was satisfied with their audience that, with their, sorry, their answer that, uh, you know, he must have burnt himself yeah. like to get away from this thing. It just didn't seem to fit with where he was in the story. So, yeah, I'd love to know what actually happened to his character. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that, that would be kind of cool. I don't want to see any kind of refilming of this, but you know what would be cool would be like a a comic series kind of set at the same time showing some of these little side stories. They did some kind of comic which I've read years and years ago, which I think was a follow-up and somehow McCready lives at the end of the film. Right. I don't know if I love that. (laughs) No, it's not the same thing. And then there's there's been Computer Game, which did try to do the same thing and all these other bits and pieces as well. A couple of pretty good uh, board games that are out there based on this movie too. Yeah, right. a chance to play them. Yeah, one of which I played a few times with a couple of listeners of the show. Yeah, nice. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Effects. I wanted to ask, though, the best effects sequence. And maybe it's worth therefore going on to what's the best death in the film. I mean, I, I love the dog scene. Like- it's First, yep. you know it's early on, and every in fact every time I watch it I forget how early on in the film it is really, but mm-hmm. I mean it just it sets the tone for what is to come so well and it still holds up and and I think still looks really scary, <laughs> um, but yep, I mean pause go to bed yeah right. yeah <laughs> but I mean my favorite sequence in the film is the, which this is such a basic bitch answer but the blood test is just yep you know that's the alien chestburster scene like that's the one that really gets you <laughs> when you i'm sure your gentlemen have been through quite a lot <laughs> yeah. but when you're quite ready i'd rather not spend the rest of this winter <laughs> time to this, to this fucking fuck couch, couch. <laughs> it's Moffat, so fine good. form so good Oh, but man, yeah, the effects I just think are so... I mean, like I said, I don't think there's ever been any better creature effects to this day. No, absolutely not. You brought up the film feeling really lived in, and I think that that's something that practical effects provide, is that Mm -hmm. they, they feel real, they feel linked to the environment. You know, and most of this is actually shot on a soundstage, but they kept the soundstage at minus two degrees the whole time. They refrigerated everything, Yep, and... It really adds something, I think, because it's the same as, you know, say what you will about Titanic. (laughs) 
But James Cameron Gore was pretty big. <laughs> but James Cameron made that water freezing fucking cold, and I think you can actually feel that when they're running through the ship. <laughs> I feel like James Cameron is maybe the last of that era of directors who could get away with slash torturing their cast yeah. a la Stanley Kubrick used to do. Like, yeah. he's from that, obviously not the same school as Kubrick, who was a lot older, but yeah. he's from that era and he watched those guys at work. He's just like, oh, fuck it. You want to be in my film? You're going to go through the paces, mate. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's how I feel about this. Like, I don't think they would film this the same way today. There's no way that they're going to be keeping the set at minus two degrees. For no, like, you can't... Cold isn't something you can physically see on film, but I think what it adds to these acting performances is brilliant. Yep, and it put that was part of the reason Rob Botin ended up in hospital as well, because he was working in that negative two yeah, right. degrees the whole time as well. Um, my to, to come back to that point I was making, absolutely my favourite sequence, my favourite death slash kill, my favourite creature effect is one of the greatest deaths, I think, in cinema history, and that's when Doc dies. Yeah. When he's got uh, Clark on the, the table and they're trying to shock him back to life. Yeah. What a shock. Like, this is the real moment when you realised oh, this thing really can be anyone and it can be yep. any, anything, if you excuse the wording, because he's dead. He died. He seemed to drive a heart attack. Yeah. Now, something that's always fascinated me then is, given that the thing has replicated Clark down to its its base cellular level, yep. was that the fact that Clark had a faulty heart and he couldn't stop the heart attack from happening or did it fake its own death? To be able to do this moment. Yeah. I mean, that that just adds another level of coolness to the thing if it has that kind of forethought to fake its own death. <laughs> yeah. Or just how perfect an imitation it is where, well, if I'm going to copy this thing, I get to take on all its foibles yeah. as well. This thing, this human. And so, when his chest gapes open on that second clear and Doc's hands go straight through it and the teeth close on it and bite off both his hands yeah. and he waves the stumps, which are Splaying blood in the air, yep. and it's pandemonium. And of course, McCready spins around and burns Clark yes. very, very fast. And then, oh no, I'm saying it's Clark. Is it Clark or it's um? Now I've completely screwed all this up. It's um Palmer. It's not Cal- It's not Clark. It's Norris. There we go. That's why <laughs> we got there in the end. This is the best podcast review <laughs> of the thing ever. I'm handing in my podcasting card. So prepared. Uh, uh, after this. We're basically- yes, Norris. <laughs> Norris is the one that gasps his chest. Okay, got it. Uh, Clark gets stabbed and dies and he wasn't the thing. Yeah. All right, there we go. Yes. Got there in the end. <laughs> Which makes you a murderer. Okay. Uh, yeah. And then, but anyway, so Norris's head drops down. Yeah, oh, that sequence is so it great. when his spider thing. Yeah. Yeah. When, it, when that neck starts to kind of melt as his head mm-hmm. drops off, it's just so cool. <laughs> I, I Stunningly- Great. And then it's Palmer who turns around and says, um, you've got to be fucking shitting me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Great line. Burns it. Yeah. Awesome. Like, that's where it all really solidified for me. Like, this thing is amazing. You'd seen Blair's little, you know, the crappy 1982 graphics of simulation, world's yeah. population entirely consumed within 84,000 hours or whatever it is from yeah. point of contact. All that stuff is, all right, yeah, you get the concept. We're playing for keeps here. But then to see it like that yeah. and- the fact that it doesn't matter if it's dead or not dead, it could still be the thing. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as good as the visual effects in this film are, I think that the screenplay is excellent. This is such a well-written film. Like, I think recently for binge movies, I rewatched The Shining, which was another film that people didn't like at the time and now is more of a cult classic. 
I actually don't like that movie very much. And I think that what that movie's trying to do with that kind of psychological descent into madness, this movie does so much better. Like, I think you can really, like you said, it, it, it sure, I haven't been in Antarctica with 11 other dudes, but it feels like <laughs> real reactions, I think. And it's written by a guy named Burt Lancaster, who wrote exactly three films, four if you count Firestarter, which was his screenplay wasn't used, but it was an early draft. Yeah. Do you want to know the other two films that he wrote? Yeah, I feel like I know what one of them is, but now I can't remember it. Yeah, what are, What were they? The Bad News Bears. That was the one I was thinking of, yep. <laughs> and the Bad News Bears go to Japan. Jesus, I haven't even heard of that. <laughs> how the fuck does a guy... I mean, I've seen the Bad News Bears. I certainly haven't seen the Bad News Bears go to Japan. No. How the fuck does the guy who writes those films create this? Yeah, that's insane. That's really crazy. And then, tragically, he died of a heart attack at 49 years of age. Oh, that's too young. Yeah. But when he wrote this, he was only- Yeah, what was he? Uh, he was only 34, 33, 34 at the time this film was being made. Yeah. Yeah. So, he, he didn't really go on with it, which is a bit of a shame. And again, maybe because, as you described, this film was such a monumental flop when it came out. Yeah. Yeah. And especially when you've read- So, John Carpenter doesn't like this film being referred to as a remake of- uh, who goes there or the no the thing from the another thing planet from another, sorry yeah yeah which i have to understand or i do understand and agree with because that film is 1950s garbage yeah if you've watched that movie it's plant man running around and i think one person dies as the dna is not even remotely similar other than the setting but who goes there is a very good short story for a given when it was written 1938 yeah i was just gonna ask i haven't read it so you have read it yeah i have it, it my, despite my messing up of every name and character before, <laughs> my love for this this film knows no bounds. I consumed everything I could for it. I, yeah. pl- I said, played the board games. I've played the video games. I've, I didn't hate even hate the 2011 prequel. Yeah, I thought yeah. it was actually pretty good, but it's just not a patch on this film. Yeah, yeah. I was because I was reading that they tried to make this a much more faithful adaptation of that novella. Do you think they succeeded there? Do you, is it pretty close to your memory of the story? Yeah, it it is in terms of like they're being taken over and it can be anybody else and the and McCready is wondering if he is the last you know, human, all that kind of those plot beats. But yeah. what Carpenter brings is his incredible, particularly through the 80s, his horror sensibilities yeah. to, to gore it up, to make these creatures grotesque as a word you used. And yeah. so- extreme and outlandish in terms of what they are. Yeah. You know, things you just would never think of. Like yeah. A creature just has a chest that opens up and you know, a mouth that opens up in the middle of its chest and just bites down when it wants to. Yeah. That's so fucking cool. Yeah. I've got to ask this and I'm sure I know your answer, but as I said earlier, you are such a horror aficionado. Like I know that it is like your bread and butter. You are the horror guy. You love it. <laughs> yeah. I'll watch most horror films as long as uh, I've steered clear now of the Z grade ones. I've stopped doing that to myself <laughs> Yeah, because I've, I've been burnt too many times, but all the way through to DRE, I'll still watch those ones. Yeah. And in your and Wayne's review of The Black Phone last week, you were talking about how you don't consider that film a horror, really. It is because of the supernatural element yeah. to it. Like if you took that out of it, and there wasn't dead kids calling on the phone, yeah. then I don't think it would be a horror anymore. So, do you consider The Thing to be a horror film? Yes. Yeah, more yeah, horror than sci-fi? Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. Because really, the only sci-fi concept is this is an alien. Yeah. If it was just a creature that rose out of the Antarctic waste, yeah. it's a very yeah. straightforward horror. Which is funny, actually. My memory of the film was different. I was really surprised when I put the film on tonight. I had completely forgotten that it starts with a spaceship. <laughs> 
Yeah, I've, I've heard some reviews criticize that, like how much better a film would this have been not having any concept where it came from and only discovering that as the characters do. Yeah. And I don't disagree, to be honest, but I, my un- vague memory of the commentary is Carpenter or Kurt Russell saying that the studio insisted yeah. it had to have this opening shot because, one, they spent a bit of money on it and, B, it does look pretty good. It does, yeah. Um, and, yeah, they, they really wanted it in there because they were worried the audience would, would freak out too much if they didn't have that. Yeah. Stupid, okay. But there we are. Yeah. The studios don't think very highly of people. <laughs> no. Ironic, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. It really ironic. And then we get to- Have you- You said you only rewatched really this for the first time in a long time, was it? It's been a while since I last watched it. In fact, you know who's not happy that you and I are doing this episode? Who? Noosk. <laughs> Because oh. this is one of her all-time favourite movies. And when I said I was doing it with you- she See was, why you married her. She was well done, very Billy. upset that I was doing this with you and not her. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> but it's all right. I promised her that we'd, we'd re-watch it next week anyway. <laughs> but- uh, this is a film I could watch any time. It is literally one of those films where, you know, people say, oh, it comes on, I don't yeah. turn it over. That's me. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I reckon- Absolutely. I reckon the last time I watched it before tonight would have been about five years ago. I'd say it was probably that long ago they did a- a one-off screening one night here, and I got to see it at cinema for the first time. Yeah, nice. Uh, and that was magnificent. Yeah, a couple of the the matte painting shots aside, yeah. and that very last scene I spoke about before, it looks so good on the big screen. Yeah, because like you said, it's just so well shot. Dean Cundy, of course, Australian, being the cinematographer on this one. Yeah, uh, you know who else we obviously have to mention is Ennio Morricone. Yep. Thank you. Because <laughs> you, much like me, you love a score. This is a great yep. score. I mean, you barely have to say that when it's written by Ennio Morricone, who everyone knows is one of the greatest composers of all time. But <laughs> I 100% agree that this is one of the first scores I ever noticed. Right, Even back then, I yep. just, that beat. Yes. It was echoed in my head for months probably after watching this film. And every yeah. time I go back again, it's on my, it's not on any running playlist, but it is on my phone. Yeah. It is on the, the 700 songs or so that just yeah. go with me everywhere. And when I put my soundtrack playlist on, it will come up and I will listen to the whole damn thing because it's amazing. Yeah. It's got such a drive to it. You're right. It's that beat. It's that constant because it's not quite a drone. It's very drone-like in nature, but it's got more of a pulse and rhythm to it. And when you get to that final sequence, which I'm sure we'll get to in a moment, and then you get the credits and that music just keeps going, jeez, oh, it's so good. <laughs> Such a nihilistic, bleak ending. Yeah. But yeah, perfectly encapsulated or, or caught up with the score or enhanced by the score. That's what a good score is meant to do. It's yeah. not meant to overtake and, and be the centrepiece of the action. It's meant to really ground you in that scene even more. It's nice to talk to someone else that appreciates score because, like- your ex-co-host Topher, <laughs> my current co-host Wayne is fucking shit at yeah. scores. Oh, what? What was that? No, yeah, it was all right. Yeah. That's the best I can get out of him, you know? Yeah. No, there's just such a great score. Like you say, it complements the film so well. And you know what? It's not dated at all. It is really hard for a score from the 80s to not sound dated today. But this, Point. and I mean, like Terminator is very much the same. It just yeah, because they're synthy, holds- right? Yeah, That's the difference. Yeah, yep. Versus no guitar screeching in everywhere. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's an 80, uh, 80s or nineties soundtrack. Is that guitar going? Yeah, I know. It's like when I watched a few Good Men a little while ago, and I was like, "Wow, this score is really dated today. It's very nineties." 
<laughs> I couldn't place that one, to be honest. So you, Well, you just described it. Screeching guitar everywhere. <laughs> that seems odd for a, a courtroom drama, but okay, yeah. I believe you. <laughs> I I don't know what else to say about this film, because we haven't done it justice, I don't think. I Let's go back to Blair and that little sort of side plot with him. Yeah. You know, because apparently Wilfred A. Brimley, not the nicest guy in the world. Uh, right. Heard some stories over the years. Okay. Particularly from the seemingly now defunct So I Married a Movie Geek podcast. Yep. They have both had, well, I think the female host of the show, Chrissy, had had a couple of very negative interactions with him in her time in, in the in media. Apparently, it was just an absolute creep of a of an older actor. Right, yeah. Pro- here or in this film, he only died a few years ago. In this film, he looks 70. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wilfred A. Brimley, at the time of filming this film, assuming it was shot in 1981, was 30. No, sorry. It was 47 years old. He looks 70. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and he made it all the way to 2020, but, uh, but his performance is stellar. I mean, I don't think there's a bad performance in this no, film. I mean, like you said, it's a very tight cast. It would have been very easy to, you know, throw in a female or two for balance. And I think particularly if this film was made today, that probably would have happened. And mm-hmm. it's hard to imagine this film like that because the cast is just so perfect as they are, I think. No arguments at all from me. Like I said, there's not a not a bad performance, not a wasted line of dialogue, really. You get just enough about each of them to yeah. sort of know how they are and, and how they act and believe them to be that person who's there. I mean, it's not always clear what all their roles are. I mean, TK Knowles is the cook, sure. Yeah. There. I'm not quite sure what Palmer does. Yeah. Yeah. He's there. Yeah. I, I had actually forgotten that McCready was the pilot. In my head, I felt like he had much more of a- um a job in Antarctica. <laughs> like the station commander yeah. or something or other. Yeah. I wonder though, the uh, the thing we haven't really touched enough on is the paranoia element yeah. of this film. So, it's one thing as in any slasher film or horror film where the cast is being picked off by some kind of supernatural or even natural threat or yeah. man-made threat, human threat, where you know what's coming and you know where the enemy is and you have to fortify and protect against that. And of course- the enemy finds ways in to get to you and yours. But it's another thing entirely when you realise, oh, hey, the enemy's barricaded inside with me and uh, it could be anyone. It could even be someone at one point says, if I was an imitation, if I was a perfect imitation, yeah, how would I know it's me? How would you know it's me? Yeah. Which is a fascinating kind of question. I, that that middle act of this film, culminating in the scene you described where everyone does the blood test, yes, yep. is amazing of that. That's what gives this film that extra level. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Do you reckon that that's in somewhat what inspired your career? <laughs> well, I hadn't put it down to that, to be honest, but <laughs> maybe. Maybe there's somewhere deep in the dark recesses of my subconscious, this desire to better understand what threat might be uh, coming for all of us. Is, is in- <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you completely. I think that that is really what makes this film what it is like that that is what this film is about is that feeling of paranoia and and that descent into well what do we do next which leads despair yeah which leads brilliantly to the finale of this film which it just it's shocking and yet fitting at the same time like i can't think of any better way for this film to end and yet when it actually happens you're like wow i 
can't believe that that's that's how this is ending. <laughs> it's such a ballsy decision. Yeah. And so this is the first. So we've got in the mouth of madness, this and Prince of Darkness. Yeah. So this is the first of his kind of apocalyptic trilogy. As it's, I don't know whether he named it that or whether the fans just sort of cull or group those films together. Yeah. But this one is ballsy enough just to go. Don't know. You make up your mind on how it ends. You've got the two people who aren't dead. Yeah. Are they both alive? And even if they are alive, they're definitely going to die. Oh, because no one's sure. going to live, yeah. live outside in that. As one of them says, there'll be 40 below out here in, as soon as the fires go down or something along those lines. Yeah. So, they're going to die. Okay, that's bad enough. But is one of them just going to freeze again in the ice? Yeah. Yep. And then when eventually a search party comes, just come out and that's the end of the world it's such a great despair yeah and if it really is the apocalyptic trilogy that's the assumption you have to make yeah john carpenter has refused to give 100 percent clarification on whether one or both of them is the thing i love that i mean that's that's the best way to do this if he came out and said yeah it's 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 mcready or you know like it just it would take everything away from it (laughs) or an interesting little aside is dean cundy though said when I was when we were lighting the film, I was told to light the thing without any reflection on its eyes. Yeah, I think that's what way it was, or one, or maybe I'm mixing it up with re- certain reflection in its eyes. Well, that would make sense. You generally want that kind of glint in somebody's eye as you're focused on them. So without would make more sense. That's interesting. Now I feel like I've got to so, rewatch it. Yeah, and so he said when I lit that last scene. Charles doesn't have any lighting on his eye. Yeah. Well, because he's virtually backlit by the fire behind him. Yep. So, he says, draw from that conclusion what you will, given that John's earlier directions were, this is what that means. Yeah. And then when we set up that shot, that was how it was set up. See, I I love a little detail like that. I love it. <laughs> and I, I remember being in the cinema those five or so years ago, and I watched it, watching so carefully. Like, <laughs> is it? Is it? Is it? You know, but I- Obviously, not being a, a lighting or a cinematographer, I yeah, it's hard. It's harder to tell for a layperson, I think. Yeah, do you, I mean, do you have an opinion on that ending? What do you think it is? Well, as, as McCready says, if one of us has a surprise, I don't think there's much either of us can do about it now. Yeah, I think that's just the perfect way it is. That's it's just as you said, the pitch perfect note to go out on. Had there been a helicopter come over the horizon in some strange way yeah. or maybe less likely that given the storm, but a, a you know, snow drone or whatever come over the horizon and they stand up to, to shuffle towards it, it would have cheapened it. Yeah. So, how are you scoring the thing then out of 10, given that it is one of your all-time favourite films? I have a very short list of films, Billy. <laughs> oh, this is one of them, is it? I've given five stars to, or wow. as we score it on, we watch the thing out of 10. I cannot, I can't, yeah, the little tiny faults. I don't think there is any such thing as a perfect, perfect film. Yeah, yeah. But the thing, if you look past it's a couple of little foibles that are easily explainable by the 1982-ness of it, it has to be a 10 out of 10. That's- It is, to my mind, the greatest horror film, straight horror film of all time. Wow. Okay. Wow. So, anyone who's come over from our show will know that's about as high praise as you can get from me. Yeah. And- Anyone on your show has heard me rate things before, like The Empty Man. No one listened to that episode. <laughs> no, no one's listened to that. <laughs> wow. I, um, that, I, I can't wait now until you finally get to your top 10 films of all time so that I can hear where this places. Because, yep. I mean, I know that Fury Road is going to be up there. I'm sure yep, that- can't, 
Can't deny. I can't remember. Are you one of the people who thinks Alien or Aliens is better? You're you're Aliens, aren't you? I am Alien. Yeah. Alien. Yep. Yep. Although I think that's a, a wonderfully fantastic film as well. Just if I, yeah. In fact, I watched Aliens last week for my birthday. So yeah, right. What must be the thirty fifth time? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I've lost count. <laughs> well, that is. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me to talk about this film. It's just- oh, That's okay, but we have to hear your score. Oh, of course. Yes. I'm Jeez. also a 10. Don't- I, just, I thought hey. that was, Yeah. I mean, this is literally one of the best films ever made. Like, it's it's just exceptionally, exceptionally good. Like, like you said, even if there are small faults, this movie moves at such a pace, and I think the screenplay is so tight, and the effects are so... So good. Like, I've spoken in the past about movies that kind of shaped who I am. And, you know, obviously Jurassic Park is a big one. Um, You know, the work of um, Harryhausen in movies like Sinbad. I mean, this is up there as well. This A movie like this is why I do what I do, you know, because- Is that why you got into the filmmaking side of things? Absolutely. You know, like, just I saw this at such a young age and Tremors was another one. Like, you see those monsters. I I love a monster movie. Like, it's one of my favorite things. And yeah, this is this is a ten. This is just excellent. <laughs> Doesn't get any better than that. Two ten out of ten. Yeah. How often does that happen? Or we watch the thing, given that uh, Topher <laughs> reigned supreme for a long, long time. Yeah. <laughs> Not often. <laughs> but it sounds like Noose could also give it a ten out of ten. Yeah, she loves it. In fact, she was uh, she was joking about her and Topher doing their own episode for the patron. <laughs> <laughs> what would Topher give it do you think so here's a fun story he had never seen this film he knew that this was one of my favourite films well that's why he, he didn't watch it because he just wanted to shit you that's right and so he watched it for the first time about a year and a half ago and he just messaged me saying good film but I don't know his exact rating for it I suspect that sounds like that a 7 out of 10 that's good film that's my thinking from Topher yeah mm. <laughs> well, can- don't know him well enough to have words but have words for me Oh, I will. I've had many a word with him about that. (laughs) But thank you so much for joining me. Everybody knows you've got one of the best shows in the world, but can you tell everybody how to find it and and what you and Wayne do? Well, yeah, if you haven't listened to us, I'm probably not going to convince you now after just gushing (laughs) love and not even knowing the names of characters that I support, you know, 10 out of 10 film for. But if you are inclined, it's Wayne, my best mate, and I, we, we get together and do a topic of some description, count it down from 10 to 1 each week. Uh, usually argue along the way about each other's placings and and then put it out to a listener to say who had a better list. That's basically the show. We do a review uh, usually in between that of usually something current, but if not, we do a bit of a classic one or we shit on Steven Seagal because <laughs> the man is an absolute piece of crap and we hate him. You're coming up to your seventh year, right? No, we're past seven. Past seven. So, wow. Yeah, 382. <laughs> yeah. So, we're, yeah, about seven and a half, give or take, I think, the math on that is. Yeah. I'm sure that everybody listening to this has listened to The Countdown. But if you haven't, please check it out. because It's literally my favorite show. And oh, thank you. It's, it's so kind. It's just excellent. You and Wayne have a great rapport. And I've been on it, which is fun. <laughs> a, a couple of times. Two, three times? Two times now. Two times. And the last time, I won the vote. <laughs> Smashed it. First individual winner in the history of the show. Absolutely kicked our yeah. asses. And, and a, a superlative. You have to listen to that episode. Listen, if you have not, as a We Watch The Thing fan, come over and listen to Billy do uh, monologues. <laughs> In Billy voice, and then in voices that will scarily not be like Billy, you have yes. missed out. I mean, I do a mean Christopher Walken. <laughs> yep. Well, by comparison to some, you do. <laughs> 
But it's it's awesome. Thank you so much. Next week, I'll be joined by David from Piecing It Together talking about Bullet Train, which I'm very Ooh. much looking forward to. And the week oh, after that, I've got Damien from Scaredy Boys talking about Nope, uh, nice. which I'm very much looking forward to. I'm assuming you're looking forward to that as well. Yeah, yeah. The next two weeks are good weeks for cinema releases. It feels like this summer's been really bereft of big, huge, amazing, great, excitable films. Yes. I mean, the best you can talk about is like Jurassic World Dominion. <laughs> oh, and, man. That's, oh, God. And then, you know, The Grey Man goes to Netflix. They don't get a chance to see it at the cinema. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, this, this is probably the peak period, August, I reckon, for 2022 for me. Yeah, definitely. Yep. All right. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with me, you can do that at wewatchedathing.com or wewatchedathing at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchedathing. If you want to help support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchedathing, and I'll catch you next week. See ya.